Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the 16th chapter of St. Matthew with an emphasis on these words. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. In 2007, a book entitled Come Be My Light, The Private Writings of the Saint of Calcutta, was printed in commemoration of the 10th anniversary of the death of someone who is perhaps the most well-known of the contemporary saints of the Roman Catholic Church. The woman I'm speaking of is Agnes Ganji Boyajou, but if that's a mouthful, maybe you know her by the name Mother Teresa. The book, which, was co- which compiled various pieces of reflection as well as correspondence, serves in equal measure as both an autobiography and a theological treatise. However, at the time of its publication, many critics of Catholicism and of the Christian faith at large descended upon these writings as evidence that, of all things, Teresa was a fraud. Let me explain. They called her a zealot who publicly espoused a faith that she believed privately not a word of. But it wasn't just the opponents of the church who said these things. Many devout and faithful Catholics who read the book were likewise disturbed at some of the entries written by a woman whose faith had been such an inspiration to them. The reason for this apparent scandal? Well, in these letters, Teresa frequently laid bare her various guilts and griefs and doubts before her friends and before her father confessor. The nature of these struggles which she underwent are quite human and common to all of us. Yet to those who viewed her or any of the larger-than-life figures found in the Roman canon as immovable in piety and unshakable in faith, well, these quotes were quite damning. She wrote, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. And again, for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see. I listen and do not hear. Dear friends, it would seem that even those venerated saints, those icons of the faith to whom we aspire, they all have the same doubts and weaknesses as the rest of us. To her critics and to her detractors, these doubts were apparently evident of some undisclosed flaw of character or some deficiency of faith which undermined her witness and charity. To all her talk of loving Christ and of serving her neighbor, her opponents could now look at this text and retort, Aha! See, it was all an act. She did not even believe in the very God who she claimed to follow. What those detractors failed to understand about these doubts 
is that they most certainly were not symptomatic of a deficient faith. But they were what Martin Luther famously dubbed tentatio, a daily and divine struggle of the believer to let go of the selfish impulses and desires of the sinful heart and cling instead to the words and the promises of the Lord. Teresa knew this struggle well. Luther, of course, knew this struggle well. And friends, you and I, we too know this struggle well. We know it every time we hear a passage read from the Holy Scriptures that make us squirm in our seats. We know it well every time your pastors preach a sermon that ruffles your feathers, pointing the long finger of the law squarely your way. Such a struggle is not only common to sinful man, but I would go so far as to posit its occurrence commendable. For if you wrestle with the word of God, I tell you, you are not weak. Were this struggle a weakness, then you would simply dismiss it, and at once you would walk away from your Christian faith. On the contrary, this tentatio described by Luther is part and parcel with the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification, whereby that old Adam in you, all those selfish, sinful impulses, those things which insist on their own way and which bristle against the word of God, they are brought into submission. Now today, I want you to take as a chief example of this struggle None other than St. Peter, who we heard about again in our gospel lesson for today. Last week, you'll recall, Pastor Edwards taught an exceptional sermon on the preceding passage, which saw St. Peter make that good confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, in the Greek Petros, meaning solid rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now no doubt, as we read this, we see that this must have been a peak moment for Peter. In fact, our Catholic friends even point to this text over and over again as Jesus establishing the office of the papacy with him. He did it, or so he thought. Peter demonstrated such faith that he impressed Christ himself and he earned his seat at the head of the canon of the saints. Provided, of course, you completely disregard our reading for today. When we see today's text, we see that immediately after, Peter not only erroneously rebuked Jesus, but he then called the entirety of the messianic task into question. For after being revealed to the disciples as the Christ, Jesus immediately began to teach them what it is that the Christ must do. And you'll notice that he did not pull any punches, but began to show his disciples that he must first go to Jerusalem and then suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then be killed, and on the third day, be raised. Hearing his Lord speak this way, Peter was scandalized. His faith 
was shaken. For here was the man who he truly believed to be the Messiah, but now what he was saying did not match Peter's expectations of what that Messiah must do. Suffering? Betrayal? Murder? Such things, Peter thought, must be beneath the Son of the living God. If the Christ be killed, after all, who then will lead Israel in glorious battle against her oppressors? If Christ be killed, who will sit on David's throne, governing the people in righteousness and equity? If Christ be killed, well then, what will become of his disciples? Might they too expect suffering or treachery or rejection or even death for his sake? Well, no, Peter would put a stop to all of this talk. He took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, O Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Interestingly, this word hindrance in the Greek meaning a stumbling block. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Friends, how did this happen? How in just six short verses did we see Peter go from being a solid rock to a stumbling block? In this moment of struggle, we see that constant conflict, that pull between the old Adam and the new. The expectations, the biases, the impulses of man's sinful heart set against that which is revealed by the truth of the gospel. Peter was now clinging to what we in the Lutheran church call a theology of glory. The mistaken notion that following the Christ was some kind of fast track to worldly good and fortune. For the disciple, the very thought of his Messiah hanging on a tree was scandal. The image of his humiliation and suffering incompatible with the glorious task which God the Father had set aside for him. But oh, the cross of Christ is scandal to more than just St. Peter. St. Paul would later write, that it is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. To those on the left, it is a travesty of God presuming upon himself to save those who need no saving. And to those on the right, it is an outrage as he freely hands out forgiveness and salvation to those who have done nothing to merit them. The cross of Christ gives us pause. It causes us to wrestle with our own worldly notions about who God is and how exactly he reveals his glory. Dr. Carl Beckwith of Fort Wayne, Indiana, in his book on the Holy Trinity, he warns that it is common for people to formulate the identity of God by determining first what is good in us. Seeing these things, we then decide that God must be all that and more. This theology of glory interprets God not through the counsel of the Holy Scriptures, but through our own personal thoughts and feelings. The result, as we see in Peter, is a rather backwards theology. A theology which insists, I believe this, therefore God must have said it. 
instead of, God said this, therefore I believe it. This, of course, brings us back to Peter. Peter in his struggle with the suffering Messiah. In the face of this theology of glory, Jesus now presents him with the orthodox alternative. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Well, the answer to both of these hypothetical questions? Nothing. See how it is that worldly glory and its empty pursuit profits you nothing. For it is transitory and fleeting. Seeking after its wiles leaves the heart bereft of comfort and consolation because then the heart's faith has been in that which is not God. And so it is revealed to be no faith at all, but rather nothing more than vanity masquerading as faith. The real power of God, that power which is profitable for salvation, is revealed chiefly and only in the suffering and death of his only begotten Son. Thus, the glory of God, which mortal man, which all of us chase after and cannot make for ourselves, it is that very cross of Christ. In atoning sacrifice, the name of God is glorified. Man is given that which has so eluded him, free remission for his sins and a restored right relationship with his Father in heaven. Therefore, those daily struggles which we all undergo, those struggles which Luther called tentatio, those are now a good thing, a commendable thing, for they serve to draw us closer to the sufferings of Jesus Christ by which we have been saved. As we wrestle to conform ourselves to his image, that selfish impulse in all of us, that old Adam, that theology of glory, it must be subdued and abandoned before the true glory of God is revealed in the cross of Christ. And this we call the theology of the cross. And I will say it again. Such struggle is not the sign of weak faith. It is a sign of a growing faith, a maturing faith, a faith which gives way to the glory of God's gifts and promises. Mother Teresa, for all her loving works and all her private struggles, she was no more or less a saint than you or I because of them. St. Peter, likewise, for all his remarkable faith and for all of his moments of grievous doubt, he is not the solid rock of this Christian faith. Instead, it is that Christ of whom he made the good confession. Friends, let us then not be deceived into somehow holding them, or any man or woman for that matter, so high above ourselves that we assume them to be greater in God's kingdom than we are. And so then, when we see their struggles, we fall into despair. Instead, I invite you, let those struggles give hope and inspiration knowing that Christ, who was their rock, is also your rock. 
that like them, you are not called to pick yourselves up by your bootstraps to make strength for yourselves, but rather to always take your strength from him. Take up your cross, bearing its weight with joy, that you have been given the privilege to follow after him who has borne all things for your sake. Mother Teresa also wrote, The joy of loving Jesus comes from the joy of sharing in his sufferings. Therefore, do not allow yourselves to be troubled or distressed. Only believe in the joy of his resurrection. For in that joy, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, he has revealed to you those things of God, those things which endure unto life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.